1: All that glitter, and all that gold, gold MP, when
0: you've been born and so. Welcome to the new and improved Habs Unfiltered with Less Filter hosted by Blaine Pavay, Matt Smith, and Treg Toxic Wilson. We provide you our listeners, informative, honest discussion, and entertainment about the Montreal Canadiens hockey, and sometimes bad life advice. Stick around. We will be right back with a jam-packed and entertaining episode.
1: Have you ever needed a fragrance that matches your every social media post? Well if you're on Twitter after dark and feel a little angry, you can wear Firebergy. This fragrance is available on every social media site. Fireberge. On every message board. Fireberge. So when you need to smell like your social media accounts take a bath in. Fireberge. You'll need no other fragrance.
0: And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered, the un- most unfiltered edition of Unfiltered, ever unfiltered in a filter. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvay, and I am joined by Matt Smith. Good evening. And Treg Toxic Wilson.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Ew, so toxic.
0: Unbelievable. Someone so toxic. has to be. Um, I, I can't. I cannot get past how toxic you are. It's pretty bad. It's terrible.
2: <sighs>
0: so, how was your week, fellas? I mean, you had that whole week off from me. You had uh, the greatest show ever.
2: I was a little bit jealous you were in Moncton, to be honest.
0: Well, I was jealous that you were not. <laughs> it was. Well, a good I hope
2: weekend. you enjoy, I hope you enjoyed it.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, the parts I remember were pretty good.
2: That sounds like punk. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so, uh I, guess, uh, I guess we'll just dive right in uh, with some news and notes. Uh, the good news, uh, Jay Bowmeister was sent home from the hospital. Uh, he's back home with his family. Uh, he seems to be okay. Uh, his career clearly is in jeopardy, but um, even even if it is done... He could have a long, healthy, normal life now.
2: Absolutely.
1: He won't be able to play hockey anymore. Well,
0: I mean, even without well, not, being able to play... Not in the NHL. No. Well, he, even if he doesn't play professionally ever again, he's home with his family, and he's healthy. No,
1: no, no. I'm just bringing up the point that... Yeah. Because there is speculation that he could come back, but he... He he won't he he can't not with a uh, pacemaker in because you can only get your heart rate so high,
0: yeah. Which uh, which brings me to the next point because of his his sad injury, uh, the Blues needed uh, a defenseman and they made a trade for Marco Scandella, so Scandella goes and joins the Blues, one of the same uh, one of the teams that his uncle had played with.
1: That was a great turnaround for uh, Mark Versen. He, he traded Buffalo a fourth round pick for uh, Scandella, and he ended up getting a second and a conditional fourth back. So I think that uh, uh, right there was uh, was worth it.
0: Well, I mean, he ate fifty percent of the cap so that he could fit under yeah. under St. Louis's cap structure. But I mean, he's his contract's expiring this year, so who cares? Uh, just the fact of that eating that—if that brought it from a fourth to a second—excellent work, excellent yep. work.
2: Yeah, there uh, were multiple there were multiple reports saying that um, Scandella and the Canadians had talked about an extension. However, apparently Scandella didn't want to uh, sign until the off season. So it was you know it was a good deal for Bergman to make, and you know I, I would never expect uh, Scandella to fetch a second. So it's obviously a A seller's market right now and he took advantage of it yes he did
0: now um, we'll get back to that seller's market uh, in a little bit but I wanted to pick your brains on some of the things that have happened this week Um, the interaction between Gallagher and referee Dean Morton What, what did you guys make of that Matt what what about you first
2: well, I think I'm going to be able to drop my first f bomb on Habs Unfiltered, so this is going to be good. <laughs> um, do <good>. it, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, let's just say that if uh, that had been Shea Weber, Dean Morton wouldn't have said a fucking word. He wouldn't have said a, he wouldn't have said a thing. And uh, you know what? Um, we we all watched the game. It was a uh, it was one of those games that uh, yeah, they definitely were playing against two different teams. Uh, Gallagher was frustrated, as was the rest of the bench. Julian got fined because of it, because of his uh, post-game, uh, uh, I guess, his postgame speech. And um, yeah, I, 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 you know what, I, I, I think it was, um, it was warranted. It was, it was, it was something that uh, needed to be done. It was something that needed to be said. And um, honestly, it was. 10, I think it was 10k that was uh, well spent. And. Um, you know, as I said, he wouldn't have said he wouldn't have said a word if uh, if it would have been Jay Weber.
0: What about you, Treg?
1: Well, I have no issue with the ten grand that Julian got fined for. All he did was speak the truth about that game, and I mean, even if you look around the league, not just with the Habs, the refereeing in this league is gone downhill fast. Like it's it's you know rolling downhill quicker than a you know I don't know what to call it. But uh a two dollar
0: hooker on payday?
1: Yeah, something like that. I was gonna say a crack whore going for free crack. But uh um and for him to tell Gallagher when he came up to him and if you read lips and if I read it correctly, he said this game's on you, right? And uh for him to tell Gallagher to go fuck himself is just total disrespect, right? Uh, you know, the penalties were so obvious that weren't called uh, for the Habs that uh, – uh, or against the Hab- – or, yeah, for the Habs that uh, it, it was so it, – it seemed blatant. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say he blatantly didn't call penalties. There's two refs on the ice. But uh, you know, and I'm 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 not gonna conspiracy theory this or or do that, but the the entire league has shown a drop in the professionalism and the uh, uh, experience of the referees, and for him to do that and then absolutely no discipline done to the refs, like, and I think that's the issue in the league is the refs don't have anything to, uh, I mean. They they don't do as many playoff games, so they lose a lot of money on that. But other than that, the refs and and from what I know, and I haven't seen anything. Maybe it's all done behind closed doors. But the refs seem to get away, be able to do or get away with whatever we want. There's no, uh, there's see. no bar for them to set for them for them to say, hey, if you get below this bar, then shit's gonna go down, and. I think the only worse refing in any sport is basketball than, than, uh, than hockey, but hockey, the refing's just, it's just terrible. And it's not just against the Habs, it's the entire league.
0: Now, my view of it is uh, this kind of stuff's going to happen. Uh, it, it, you know, tempers flare, uh, the referees, uh, there's, there's always going to be a fuck off off between players and refs. It happens. Um, but you're right. There's doesn't seem to be any accountability. And, and there were a lot of non calls that uh, that should have been made in that game, and there were a lot of calls that were kind of iffy going the other way but for both teams. It was just it was poorly managed. That whole game was
1: poorly managed, and Mun- Montreal never had a penalty that whole game. No, they had plenty of. Or, they had no power. power play. Didn't, know, didn't have a power. They never buddy. had a power play that entire game. But and don't
2: I, be lo- trip- looking really really bad after that game. <laughs>
1: And the trip yeah, and the, yeah. the, the, the high stick, the Domi, and the, the slash on Kovalchuk's stick in overtime were all obvious penalties. Yeah, like, it's they, not... like yeah. They weren't even close.
0: But this is my point that I'm getting at. Uh, there's a lack <clears throat> of an accountability for the uh, the, the officials. Also, this two-referee system, you, d- you, you can't manage a game properly. If there's one person running the game, you know what that one person's going to call or or not call throughout the game. You know, you you can expect. You know, if uh, if someone takes one in the hands on a slash, well, you know, if it wasn't that hard, he'll let it slide. So you know that you can go that far, but no further. But if you ha- with the second referee, well, maybe the uh, the second guy down at the far end of the rink saw you tap the the blade of the other guy's stick, and he's going to call you for a slash. So there's there's two measures. There's two there's two different opinions and you can't manage within the game as a player so you're completely lost and then frustrations get uh, start to fly uh, and then you get this. so maybe uh, maybe it's time to go back to the one referee system, especially because the second referees you got four guys on the ice getting in the way of the puck as opposed to just three.
1: Yeah, we could do that. <clears throat> or give more responsibility to linemen to call some minor penalties.
0: Sure, um, but uh, we'll we'll move on from there. Uh, Matt mentioned it's a seller's market, so I'd like to, uh, you know, throw this out here. Berger Bank's plan. I wrote an article about this. That he has, uh, he has to choose what plan he's going to follow because he seems to be following two different paths. So uh, Matt, I'm going to see what you think about this.
2: Well, right now, a lot of people want the Canadians to go 100 percent youth, but we all know that that's not going to work. You're going to need, you still need veteran players on your team. You still need guys that have played in the NHL. Um, at the same time, you don't want to throw all your youth and all your talent, all your young talent, down to the minors, or play them in third and fourth line roles because you're never going to develop them. And we've noticed that the development of the Canadians' prospects has been lacking as of late. Um, we've seen it now with um, with and Yemi. but you know what? Being down in the down uh, down in the valley, even though the, the team's struggling, he seems to be able to. He's he's putting points together, which is nice to see. Um, and uh, I've said this a few times on the podcast over the last few weeks. Nick Suzuki's been a really, really really bright spot for the Canadians this year. And if he continues and continues to develop in a positive manner that he is right now, you know, he's going to be a, you know, possibly even a 60 point guy as next season. Um, right now for me, their biggest need is on the left hand side for defense, which is, you know, exactly what we were saying at the start of the season. And um, they, they need a, they need someone that's going to be able to go in there and uh, stop some pucks behind carry price. Because we can't we can't expect Price to play 65, 65 plus games a year. Um, we thought that this year it was going to be Engaid. It wasn't it what you know it just it didn't work out. We've seen Primo a little bit, but he's better off right now being the starter in Laval. And um, you know, I just don't, in my opinion, I don't think Primo or not Primo um, Lingren has it in him to be the uh, to be the backup for a full season. So if I was um, if I was Mark Bergman, I'd be looking this offseason to get a, uh, maybe a, not necessarily a career backup, but more of a fringe starter, somebody that can uh, go in there and actually be able to help Price out, help the team out, ba- maybe get a few more wins.
0: Valid
1: point. Uh, Treg, what about you? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> Bergman, I mean, he has a plan. I, I whether it's the right plan or not, uh, but the the plan he has is to to get stay competitive, try to build a young team, while staying competitive, and uh, you know we building through the draft, and and I think he's a little bit late in starting that, but I think it's something that that he's he's trying to do and start to do, and, and I think the reason. He has to try to stay competitive. I don't think it's a matter of him choosing a plan or not. And I uh, I read a tweet today by uh, uh, one of the RDS uh, French RDS uh, guys, and he basically said uh, he was talking about Petrie and whether they trade Petrie or not. And he doesn't think they should trade Petrie because he said, if Montreal trades Petrie, then how do they explain making us wait another three years? So right in that last sentence, he basically said exactly why Bergevin can't really do a rebuild or Montreal for the last 20 some odd years has not done a rebuild is because the Montreal fans and media will not stand for a uh, long-term miss playoffs or a long-term losing. They just won't do it. And... Any GM that comes into Montreal, not just Bergevin, is going to have to deal with that. <clears throat> I believe this team, like another journalist, Brian Wild said, they're a 96 point when healthy. They're an 86 points when not healthy because they have no depth. And I truly believe this team is two or three pieces away from being. Now, I, I, I I've said contender in the past, but I'm going to I'm going to knock that down to a annual playoff team or a, a team that's consistently should make the made a playoffs with without a major something major happening. Uh, Bergevin's job, which he hasn't been very good at is filling that need of those two or three players or of those players. That's going to make that happen. Bergevin has been in eight years has not filled a major hole outside of trying to draft one. And, and that's what he needs to do in this offseason. <clears throat> or this team is either going to have to go full rebuild or we're just going to have the same thing we've had for the past 25 years. A uh, bubble-ish team that may or may not make the playoffs. Uh, so to say what does he have to do with his plan, personally, I'd be perfectly okay with him going, you know what, we're in full rebuild mode uh let's go, but I'm also perfectly okay with what he's trying to do now because I understand why he's trying to do it and how hard it is to to go the other way
2: so yeah that, that, I think that, he's that gonna, I, I, sorry i yeah, think he's no, gonna no. i think he's gonna be the most um active g m at the uh, at the draft this year he's gonna wanna make a splash, and right now they have got their first three seconds they're gonna do something with those. Something, they have something, to something. Yeah, something's or, gonna happen. Or Ottawa's gonna steal the draft. They have. They're gonna have two top,
1: two picks probably in the top five or ten. Absolutely. So, um, and Montreal's probably gonna have a pick in the t- at least the top ten. or uh, But that that's why I say that's why I say this plan thing is such a hard thing to do in Montreal because the I mean the fans are already complaining of four or five now and you can easily say well two of the one season they had 96 points they were pretty much in it just happened to be one of those years and two of those you could pro, you could you could argue injuries now people don't say oh well, that's an excuse what about other teams but when comes when you have no depth in your team you lose a price for a year you're not making the playoffs you lose three of your top four scores for any amount of time especially not all together you're not making the playoffs and that's exactly what happened this year and then the year price got injured so his inability isn't the plan. His inability is putting the players in to make the plan work.
0: Well, I I think that you you kind of alluded to part of the problem with this plan, and that's expectations. You mentioned the fan expectations. Yeah. Um, look, look at his the start of his tenure. Say the first uh, the first five years of his tenure with the Canadians. He showed up, and people expected him to just do a slow rebuild and then the team was competitive right away. Uh and it was a playoff team the whole time. They were 100-point seasons, they were winning divisions. You know, that's all well and good, but then come playoff time, uh they really only had that one deep run where they made the third round. They made the second round a few times, but that was it. The, and then the team started to dip because it was incomplete. It was missing pieces. He was he was playing a patchwork game, trying to catch up, hoping that the team would hit. So now he's bringing in, He's he says he's building youth, he's going through the draft, but people aren't happy with that. They want the team making the playoffs, but they weren't happy when the team was making the playoffs and not winning. So which is it? Like, What do you want? What do the fans really want? Because... Uh, Clearly, it's just Stanley Cup or bust. So the only way to do that is to follow a rebuild plan. You know, it's going to suck, but hey, the team's going to miss the playoffs four or five years in a row. That ha- that's, that's how winners are built nowadays. So, uh,
1: and another issue he had when he first came in is the fact he had nothing in his cupboard. He had absolutely no prospects. He, he had, had no. Away,
0: he had to trade away second-round picks, and yeah, uh, there, were, so, there weren't that many draft picks. So now, because of that, he doesn't have the depth from those exactly. drafts to fill in the exactly. blanks now.
1: And, and, and that's what everyone's alluding to now, saying, oh, Timmons was terrible. Well, you have to remember, Timmons never even had full control of the team until Bergevin came in for his draft picks. And when you're drafting 24 or higher almost every year, it's a crapshoot. Anyone can tell you anything over twenty in the first round could be just as good or just as bad as anyone you pick in the second round. It's you know the odds of you getting a superstar or an elite player, and that's and the Habs haven't done that because they haven't been in a position to pick, except for and Emmy or maybe Galchenyuk, and Galchenyuk was in a horrible draft year for the first round. Uh, it's not just.
0: It's not just. Uh where they're picking. It's the fact that they didn't have that many picks. I mean, Babe Ruth didn't hit 60 home runs because he was at—he was taking one at-bat a game. He, he got those home runs because he was getting four, five, six at-bats per game. He was getting Whoa. a ton of swings. But that's what I'm saying. But
1: it does matter where you pick when you're taking that swing. It,
0: it does, but it's not just that. It's the fact that no. he's not just taking one swing. He's taking six swings a game. And people forget the five strikeouts. They just remember that one home right. run in that game. Whereas yeah. with Timmons, he was getting one, maybe two swings in a game. And sometimes it was a bunt just because it was easier to get on base. Yeah, That's, that's the kind of the analogy I'm going with here. Now, yeah. the nope. last two, three years, he's had a ton of picks to play with. So the expectation now is that he's going to have two, three, maybe even four... NHL players per draft class over the last three years.
1: And and really, and to go back to the build, rebuilding, that's how you rebuild a team. Exactly. And I think bergman has been trying to do that all along. His team was just so successful, he really didn't have any in the beginning. And now that it's not as successful, but everyone is expecting it to be, the 96-point season last year... Just blew everyone's expectations too far to the right. Now, what would have and,
0: happened if the season the season that the Canadians are having right now happened last year and last year's season happened now? Expectations. Right. It's all about managing expectations.
1: Because, I mean, we called it here on our show right at the beginning. This is a bubble team. They're either going to – we predict between 92 and 96 points. Yeah. They're probably going to finish around 86. But – we predict at 92, and that's with a fully healthy team. Yeah, right. We weren't expecting. We were hoping for a playoffs. We were, uh, uh you know, what's the word? We were we hoping for a playoffs. We were optimistic about a playoffs. We knew it could happen. We knew if ever all the moons aligned and everything stayed good, they would probably do it, right? But they were basically the same team. But you're absolutely right. If they had an 86 point season last year, no one would be complaining. Because no one expected them to get a 96 point season.
0: Now, this is what uh, the fact that they're a bubble team and they're going to remain a bubble team and they were a bubble team before all this started when people were. They're still complaining then. They're complaining now. The team's a bubble team. This is why, in the article I wrote for the Hockey Writers, I point to you need to sell those major assets now. Yeah, you keep. You keep guys like Weber and Price for leadership. But guys like Tatar and Petrie, you move them now. Because as Matt mentioned, this is a seller's market. Uh, If Scandella can get you a second, toss Kovalchuk out there, he can probably get a second. Tatar could probably get you a first, uh, a top-end prospect, and a middling roster player to even out cap hits. You know, just like the Pacioretty trade. With the you know the the deal that keeps on giving because if you 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 flip Tatar for a first and a high end prospect now you you have two assets that'll be with the Canadians for six seven eight ten years and fit with that youth plan that you have as opposed to Tatar who's going to be thirty one when it comes time for his contract and he's going to want a uh, five seven year deal probably making seven or eight million so. Is the team ready for uh, for a seven million dollar winger who's thirty one and his best years are behind him? No, no, that's not what you need. You need you need to pay the guys like like Domi, for instance, is going to want five or six million, or all the young guys coming up Suzuki. These are the things you need to spend on, not aging roster players. Petrie's the same. He's coming off. He's he's on pace to match his career high of 46 points, something like that, 46 points, Um, again this year, he's 33 at the end of the contract, or 34, and he's going to want a multi-year deal. Well, he's going to want to raise too, so do you want to keep another over-35 defenseman when you already have Weber there? No. So you you move him. You can probably get a first and a top prospect with, with him as well. So now you've got, you move those two guys, you got four, maybe five, high-end, young assets that fit your rebuild. Yeah, next year is going to hurt. Without those two, likely going to hurt. I mean,
1: losing Tatar. Tatar can be replaced.
0: Yeah, they traded Pacioretty saying, hey, who's going to score goals? They traded Pacioretty, and then the team scored more goals without him than they did with him. Um, Yeah. P- moving Petrie, yeah, it's going to hurt on de- on the defensive side. But you go and you find yourself a middling UFA for two three years, like a Sherrod-type deal, and you kind of tooth and claw your way. The team is still a bubble team with that guy as opposed to Petrie. But you have a better prospect of having a much better team two years from now because now you have all kinds of added freaking pr- uh, high-end assets this is how you have to do this is what you have to do you've got to take some pain now so you can have some gain later
1: I uh I don't think burvin's doing that no I think neither do i he, I think he's keeping I think and I'm gonna play devil's advocate here because I agree with you blaine but I'm just gonna throw this out there that's gonna sound like I'm disagreeing with you but I really don't I think the game, the thought is, well, if we keep Tatar and Petrie because we want to be competitive next year, because we truly believe we're still a bubble team and that we can make it, and if I can add a UFA goaltender in the offseason, which there's going to be plenty of them, right? And I can add this, then that's going to put us over the top. Now, bear with me. I'm just throwing a well, scenario. Mark, how in. did that work this year? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But just, just, you know what I'm saying? Just bear with me because, so if he's thinking that, then, then there's the thought that, well, if we don't, this doesn't work again next year. And if we traded these guys this year, anyway, we're not going to make it next year anyway. So no one should expect us to, you know, if we don't make it next year, then we can do the same thing for these guys next year. I, I, and, I no, I don't think so, but I'm thinking, but I think that's what the thought plan is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, I know I what you're saying. That's what the thought pro- I don't think it's going to happen either because I don't think the seller's market is going to be next year. It's going to be like what it is this year, at least I would hope. Because this year people are going for, like Coleman got a first. Yeah. Blake, Blake Coleman. Yeah. So Tatar can, can definitely get a, a first plus plus if Coleman got a first and a prospect.
0: And a high end prospect. He got, they got a, yeah. a defensive pros- one of their top five defensive prospects.
1: Yeah. And, the, and this whole and this whole Graves thing from Al- the Avalanche, I'm not on board on that at all. That
0: rumor about Graves being the target yeah. for the Canadians.
1: Graves, I think, is overinflated. Playing with McCarr and the rest of the and McKinnon and Rantanen. Now, if He's Graves been-
0: is part of a return for say Tatar, and it's to even out cap, I'm fine what, with that. Yeah. Everything rests on what is a package that they get back. If they don't get uh, a high end prospect as part of any deal, then it's a failure.
1: Or don't make the deal. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Don't make the deal just to make a deal. Yeah. That's going to be the big thing. Like if. uh,
1: And I don't think Bergman
2: does that. No, he doesn't. But, um, you know. Talking about Colorado, if uh, if someone like um, like Cote or Newhook or uh, Connor Timmons or someone like that, or I, I you know I'm going to throw the name out there, Byram. I know that they would never move him, but you know if if a player like that of those four isn't involved, then you don't make the deal.
0: Just like the patch already trade when he said that getting Suzuki was the centerpiece of the deal. You know, great uh, Tatara was gravy. The, the second-round pick that they got with them, too, was Gravy, but the centerpiece was Suzuki. That's what sure. they need to do with Tatar now is y- you move them, but you need to find that one centerpiece. and Then they could they can add pieces around that to even things out, whatever they want, who cares. But you need that one centerpiece, that one piece that you're like, yep, that's worth it.
1: Boys, I don't know why we're arguing. We already got the Mario Brothers from Pittsburgh and uh, Blandese and Luc- Lucchini. <laughs> so we 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 we're fucking winning the cup next year with them too. So I don't even know why you guys are arguing.
0: <laughs> well, they needed they did need uh, you know the the joke is, yeah, sure plan the parade, <laughs> but the, but bringing those two in, they don't fall under the veteran rule. So now you can you can still yep. dress six veterans. And the Canadians have, well, Laval has a ton of veterans on the blue line. If they want to make the playoffs down there, that's what you do. You play these they're guys also, on the third.
1: They're also better defensive players than uh, Barber and Veroni were. And I don't think Barber and Veroni and Joel Bouchard uh, got along with each other. So uh,
2: No,
0: no, they did not.
1: Well when we saw when we I used saw, to know people that had inside uh, connections to Laval but uh I don't talk to them much anymore so I don't know if I can get any information on that.
2: Well when Kakanyemi and uh Paling both got sent down and then Evans back down as well you know it took playing time from those guys and obviously they probably didn't like that being uh you know, shafted off the top units and everything like that. So, there was a lot of speculation that um, they weren't happy with their playing time and with the coach and uh, everything like that. So, you know, right now it's an AHL deal. Laval's struggling. Uh, you know, can K- down there? He can't stop a beach ball. So, you know, we'll We'll, Jeez, can't we'll, we'll, right, we'll see how right, we'll see how it goes. But yeah. um, in terms of the trades, uh, or in terms of the trade deadline, um, just. Yes, they might move Petrie. They might move to uh, Tyre. I think uh, I'm I'm kind of on board with Treg. I don't think they're going to do it. I think we're going to see um, more depth players go out. I think Thompson's going to be the next to go. Um, I think Cousins will be out, uh, be out soon. And uh, you might see somebody like a Jordan Wheel move. Other than that, I can't see very much... Uh, Much going on. I posted uh, earlier about Louis Domingue and some players wanting to, uh, or some fans wanting them to pick him up on waivers. You know, in my opinion, maybe what'll happen is if he clears, that maybe there'll be a one-for-one swap between him and Kincaid, and send Kincaid back to the Devils. But you know, that's just all speculation right now.
1: I think Kincaid. I don't know. I think he's done. I I don't even think he's trying in Laval anymore. But that's just that's just an opinion, by the way. Well, right? I saw him,
2: I saw him play against the Marlins there last week, and it didn't look like he was uh, trying very hard at all. Yeah. So Yay. anyway,
0: anyway, um, so we'll uh, we'll end the segment here. Um, we're gonna have our little commercial break, and when we come back from the commercials, we will be joined by none other than the voice. of, of the Montreal Canadiens, Brian Mudrick.
1: Yes. Great guy.
0: Amazing guy. So uh, sit back, relax, enjoy these commercials. When we come back, Brian Mudrick for your listening pleasure. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro, but could never find the right one, or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No-Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. We are joined now with Brian Mudrick, the voice of the Montreal Canadiens. Welcome to the show, Brian.
3: It's great to be on the show. Um, uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. I look forward to it.
0: Oh, it's our—it's absolutely our pleasure. We're very happy that you took some time out to uh, to speak to little old us. So, um, uh, the first question—I just wanted to, uh, to just to ask—what prompted you to choose sports broadcasting as a career?
3: Oh man. Probably, uh, I didn't have the 95 mile an hour left-handed arm, um, to make the major leagues. Uh, that probably had something to do with it, but, um, you know, I love sports growing up. I, I grew up in a, in a small town in Northern Alberta is where I'm from originally. And in a small town, you pretty much, you know, do everything, right? There's not a lot to do. We had a, a little hockey rink. We had a little three-sheeter curling ice. Uh, I grew up, uh, on a side of a Lake. So, you know, in the wintertime, you can go ice fishing and skate on the, uh, on the lake, summertime you're you're doing water sports, uh, and I love playing everything. And I just thought at some point, kind of in my mid-teens, that uh, you know I wasn't good enough, uh, unfortunately, to make the major leagues or um, have a career that way in sport. And broadcasting always kind of appealed to me, so I sort of I guess made the decision at around fifteen, sixteen uh, to look into it. And I used to uh, Blaine. I would drive to Edmonton, which was about two hours away, about um, twice a week, I'd volunteer at Shaw Cable at the time, so I did everything from uh, camera work and audio and shooting and pulling cable and whatever they needed me to do and get acclimatized to it, and yeah, I kind of fell in love with it, so it was uh, here we are, man, that's uh, a long time ago now, but uh, it's great, uh, the path that, that I've been on, and I've been blessed to have a pretty awesome career so far.
0: So, uh, how did you get the Habs play-by-play job, and what does it mean to follow in the footsteps of legends like Danny Gallivan, Dick Irvin, and uh, Bob Cole?
3: You know, I would, the simple answer, there is no simple answer, but I guess the simple answer is a a lot of work, uh, a lot of hard work and belief in yourself. Um, I'd been at TSN uh, since 2005. Um, I was at CTV Edmonton at the time, and I um, got the job with SportsCenter in 2005, back when there was one TSN. It's pretty awesome, now we have five. Uh, Plus all the uh, social media, online streaming, etc. And you know, I I, like who doesn't grow up loving hockey. I mean, I grew up in an era uh, where the Edmonton Oilers made it look pretty easy uh, for those years in the '80s. And uh, I was like any other kid. Hockey night in Canada, Saturday nights. Um, Our family had season tickets to the Edmonton Eskimos, so we used to go to those games all the time as well. And that, uh, that was my passion. So at Sports Center, uh, that was a dream come true, getting that job. I started doing hockey, play-by-play for some Hockey Canada events. Uh, I also was pretty passionate about uh, curling. Growing up as a kid, I actually curled pretty competitively in Alberta uh, for some years. Uh, you actually have me at the Scotty Cermon of Hearts right now in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan is where I'm doing this from. So uh, I'm off the Habs uh, gig for a couple games at PSN as I'm doing this job. But the uh, job came up uh two years ago uh john bartlett was going uh back to uh to sports net so the opening came up i had called um a lot of hockey canada events uh under 18 world hockey championships the men's hockey championships um kind of my breakthrough i suppose was uh, 2015 in Prague that year where Sidney crosby was the captain they had that dream team went undefeated it was such a good team they had Sagan and taylor hall and they had brent burns and mike smith net, and Nett and Mike Smith could roll on that international ice and do what he wanted with the puck, um, and the rest is just sort of history. A lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice, and uh, I was I was absolutely thrilled and honored to get the gig, and uh, I take a lot of pride in it, and um, I don't take uh, I don't take take it lightly at all. Um, you guys are a great fan base. Um, Montreal Canadiens are an iconic franchise, uh, and I I walk in the Bell Center every night when I do a home game, and it's not lost on me, and I don't think it ever will be.
0: Wow. Um, now you also began a charity golf tournament to, for for cancer research. Uh, what does it mean to for you to give back to the medical community and to help eradicate such a terrible disease?
3: Yeah, I had a pretty tough pass when i was uh when I was seventeen I was um, scheduled to um, look at doing a couple of tryouts to maybe play college baseball in the states um, I was lucky enough to work with some Atlanta Braves, um, you know, scouting and staff. I was never good enough. Don't get me wrong. I, I knew that. But, you know, to get a chance to have an education and maybe play baseball, community college or, you know, heaven forbid, a Division one, that had been pretty cool. But um, And at 17, I was uh, diagnosed with cancer. I found a lump in my neck. I never felt sick. I had no idea even what cancer was at 17. And it was Hodgkin's lymphoma. So the baseball, obviously, was on the back burner, and I stuck around Edmonton, and I had to do my chemotherapy and radiation, and I started uh, my broadcasting career at NAIT, uh which is the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology, and it's really hard to get into that program. So when I had to go day one for chemo, I remember sending my dad to class because I didn't want to miss out. So uh, they kind of laughed. My teacher, Chris Durham, who's my friend to this day, sort of said, who's the old man, Brian? Newtrick, you're in the back? I was like, well, oh, that's actually I'm his dad then he explained the situation. So I had a pretty rough start. I had, uh, I went to college for broadcasting while doing chemo and radiation. Uh, when I was uh, 19 in my first TV job in Lloydminster, I had a relapse. Um, so I had to go back to the hospital. I had a stem cell transplant of my own stem cells and um, I had a 50, 50 chance and um, they, I was on some, some drugs and some experimental stuff that, that, that worked. And I was lucky enough that my cancer was treatable and beatable. Um, so after that experience, when I got back to Edmonton, I started the Brian Nutri-Golf classic. And, um, when I was really sick the second time I'm, I was wheeled out of the hospital. I remember telling my mom, I wanted to raise a million dollars for the hospital and she sort of laughed and said, how about you put on 10 pounds first? I was probably probably a, a, a shell of myself, uh, about 150 pounds and I'm usually six, one, two or five. And, um, and we did, we raised a million dollars, uh, for equipment. Uh, and we, uh, raised 1.8 million over 15 years. And, uh, we retired the tournament after 15 years. It was a lot of work and we got some pretty sad, tragic news that my brother was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. And what's crazy is that we don't really have cancer in our family, um, which is, uh, just a huge blow, and uh, we lost him uh, just over a year ago. Um, so my family and my mom, we decided to have one more tournament uh, in his honor, and we'll likely hit the two million dollar mark, um, and that'll be a one-off and done for him. So that's why we do it. Um, that's why I, I think it's important to give back. And uh, you know what? I'm i'm proud of the work my family and I have done to try help some others.
0: As someone who's uh had family members uh, touched by the same disease. You know, it, it means a lot to see other people pushing like you do. So I thank you for that. I'm sure many of my cousins who have survived also do.
3: You, you know, um, thank you, uh, Blaine. And, and I, one of my favorite stories of being people ask me, uh, what do you love about the Habs job? Or like, what was one of your best moments or games that you called? and And there's a young guy. Uh, Sam Smith, who got to practice, he had the same cancer that I did, the Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he got to practice with the Habs and uh, scoring carry price, and, and um, he was at a game, and uh, the Habs uh, staff said, hey, you know what, Sam's here, do you want to meet him? I'm like, yeah, and so he brought him into the booth, and I, I tweeted something out like, that, that I had this cancer, and like, I was proud of him, and, and my hero buddy, that's great, great job by you. And I got to talk with him and his family. His dad was apparently actually a Leafs fan, but yes, we were the Habs jersey on that game. And Montreal did a great job, the organization, with him. And he put on the headphones in the broadcast booth, and Mike Johnson and I chatted with him and his parents. And, and that was probably my most favorite moment of the season, is getting to talk to a young kid. Because when I was sick, all I wanted to do was talk to somebody that had beat it. And uh, that was really special for me. That did more for me than... Sam I'm sure Uh, I hope if he ever hears this he knows that Um, and I asked him if I could get a picture with him Uh, and uh, I I tweeted it out last year during the season and that's uh, that for me was was just awesome to uh, help a young family and to see his parents were in in tears Um, you know it's it's emotional for family and for parents and because it's their kid right and uh, that that was a highlight of my season for sure in year one.
0: Uh, it's, it was an unbelievable story to be honest and, and yeah it those kinds of stories they transcend sport they're, they're just they're very special
3: yeah carry Carrie at the all-star game too with the young man that lost his mom right um that's why that's why i love the game that's why i love uh, the nhl and the players and and that family there's a there's a there's a real family community uh in hockey uh the habs i mean i've been there not even a year and I got a really lovely uh, note of condolences from the team. I mean, geez, my first game back, Coach well, Julian pulls me aside and says, "Sorry for your loss." Like, I mean, it, it's it, you know, there's some really classy people in hockey, so I'm I'm proud to to be a part of that.
0: Well, kind of switching gears from the uh, the deeper thoughts to <laughs> back to just playing hockey. Uh, you mentioned that you had covered the under-18s, and um, I wanted to get you I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on your thoughts on the prospects that are coming up for the Canadians that you've witnessed?
3: Oh man, it's, uh, you know, it's exciting. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, you're getting a look at one of the recent ones in Nick Suzuki um, coming off that incredible year in junior Memorial cup appearance and uh, what 92 points. And he had 42, I think in the playoffs, which was just insane. That was a franchise record uh, for his junior team. Uh, Romanoff, young defenseman, who is, uh, what, back to back, um, all star defenseman at the World Juniors, playing in Russia right now. I'm telling you, Cole Caulfield, and it's funny, when I was watching the draft, I think I was doing a charity event in Kelowna, but I had the draft up on my iPhone and I was just seeing, and, and I remember he fell out of the top 10. Spencer Knight, the great USA, United States national team development program goalie, he went to Florida. Then I think another, uh, kid from the same program, Cam York, went. And then I'm like, you know what? I think the Habs are going to take Caulfield. And they did at 15. And I'm telling you, this kid, they say he's too small and he can't, you know, it's the NHL level, he won't be able to score. I've seen him since he was, you know, 16, 17. So the United States National Team Development Program, all right, has had absolute studs come through it. Austin Matthews, Phil Kessel, Clayton Keller, So on the same play, he was teammates with Jack Hughes and line mates, actually. Um, On the same play, he broke the goal-scoring record in the United States National Development Program of Phil Kessel, and the assist uh, from Hughes, he broke the all-time points record for Keller on the same goal. They actually cut the puck in half, by the way, and they both got a half of the puck. Um, He gets in the tough areas. He can score from the tough areas. The passes are always perfect. And there was a shot, another goal he scored at the summer showcase in Plymouth last summer. My goodness. Like, there was no room to put the puck, and he put it there. Um, I'm really excited for the Habs uh, fans to see Cole Caulfield whenever that happens. He's obviously in Wisconsin um, right now. And it's a strong draft in Montreal coming up. So the Bell Centre will host the draft here in June. Um, There's a lot of good young kids led by Alexis Lafreniere, who obviously Quebec born and an absolute stud in the making. Uh, There's a couple of young uh, Swedes who are also incredible. That'll probably be uh, Lucas Raymond uh, is the kid who had the the golden goal and a hat trick for Sweden to win their first ever U18 gold in Sweden in Umeå and Ornsköldsvik. That was uh, back in April. Um, So there's a lot of good... uh, Quentin Field, there's some great names that are in that in that list, but it's a strong draft. So, have got a lot of good ones coming up.
0: And with the uh, the deadline coming up, and you you mentioned how good the draft is, uh, do you think that uh, that Berge may, may be a little bit more active, trying to get a couple more picks into this draft?
3: You know, it's so hard, uh, Blaine. Like, you have. I think it's a number one. I'm not a GM. <laughs> it's number two. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want the job. I, I think it's just so tough. The GM job, if you're a coach or an athletic therapist or you know assistant coach, at least like when the the season's over, you you can kind of shut it off a little bit. GMs year round because you're scouting, you got the draft, you're always you know got to be on the phone talking who's available, what can you get. You know you got you got Shea Weber, who great news by the way for ABS fans. It sounds like he's coming back way sooner than anticipated, which is amazing. Um, and Carey Price, you got Shea Weber and Carey Price, guys in their you know thirties that that in the new NHL aren't young anymore, but they are the star pieces. In the meantime, you're also trying to have a, a rebuild of sorts, and you also have these young guys that are coming up. Um, when is the time to jump all in? You know what, a guy, you know, you're going to have to pay, or are you a guy like Jeff Petrie, Scandela, Tatar, Domi? Um, you know, what do you do with these guys? Are they a part of the future? Um, you got a young guy like Isveri Kakaniemi. You talked about, um, you know, draft picks and people coming up. He's still 19, right? I mean, he had that great rookie season. He's very still 19 years old. Um, so my answer is I don't know because I don't know how much you mortgage. What's your time frame? And I just think he's in a tough spot when the guys you, you have, the, your big stars are Carey Price and Shea Weber, and they're not young guys anymore. Where's no. that line, right? Where do you yeah. pull the trigger? Where is that line? It's, it's, it's tough. I'm glad I don't have to answer it. I'm glad, I just love calling the games. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah so uh what are your thoughts on Weber's return to be uh, because like you mentioned he was given a 4 to 6 week window and now he's back uh within 2 weeks do you, do you feel maybe they were rushing him or he's just just a machine
3: I think I think he might be in the next terminator movie if Arnold Schwarzenegger makes one more um no, like, like, sincerely, okay, number one, Shea Weber knows Shea Weber's body, body better than anybody. He is a strong dude. I mean, he's obviously played through stuff his entire career. Um, they're not, and Shea is not going to jeopardize his career. So obviously, we know the issue with the ankle and the knee, right? There, What was told at the beginning was there was a lot of swelling, and Chloe Julian was a broken record. And He's not a doctor, right? I mean, he's—it's like, hey, guys, we got to see the swelling come down, and then he went to see the specialist in Wisconsin. That was kind of the next step in the process. I mean, if it's not going to impede or hurt him long term with whatever this injury is, if it's uh, something from before, and and I'm not—I don't want to speculate because that's definitely not what I'm here for either. I'm no doctor either. Um, I don't even look like a doctor, so. But he's a guy that can play through pain. Uh, he talked um, today, I was watching uh, uh, his, his media conference, and it's one of those things. It's pain management, listen to your body. So to me, that all sounds really positive because it sounds like it's up to Shea to decide how much pain he can play with. We know he can play with a lot, but I don't think he's playing this year, and I don't think he's making this push for the Habs, who are a real outside chance now to make the, the postseason, but I don't think he's playing unless he's not going to hurt himself long-term. So to me, this is all positive.
0: Now, do you feel that the Canadians' promise to be more transparent has been met with their openness on injuries such as Shea Weber's?
3: I don't know. I don't think I'm the right guy to ask that question. Um, That's a little over my my head space. But, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, there's protocol to follow all the time. And, I mean, these are are well-paid professionals, the players, and, of course, the staff around them. So I, I think there's due diligence taken, but I don't think that's for me to comment on.
0: Okay, and um, you've you've been watching this team game in game out, obviously doing play by play. Uh, do you think that this team, had they stayed healthy, would have had a similar season to last year's?
3: You know, I believe so. If you look, there's a lot of things that stand out to me, and and I'm not like I, I watched closely, and so I watched the game uh, against Dallas and some of the calls, and Claude was what recently fined the ten thousand dollars for going off. I'm telling you, like the, the Habs, um, I don't have the stats in front of me, I, but I know that they have been one of the, uh, the teams that have drawn the least amount of penalties. Um, I thought that that was a real tough game for for Claude Julian, and he admitted, listen, it's not that we made our own mistakes, okay? They were up in that game 3 nothing, but there were some calls there that I was shaking my head and, and texting some of my colleagues and my, my buddies like, oh, man. Um, the trip in overtime to Armia... Uh, It's just one of a few. And I was like, I mean, the ref, I won't say, I I know who it is. I won't say his name, but he, I mean, he was looking right at him. He was looking right at the play on the replay of the trip. That was right in the skates. Like, I don't know. So I I feel the frustration of the team. Uh, At last check, they were also leading the league and one goal losses. Um, And they had a lot of injuries and that's no excuse. Same with Pittsburgh, right? I'm not making excuses for the team, but I, you know, I think a healthy team, um, I think, The other thing, and this is only the Habs to blame for this. Okay, so three losses to the Red Wings this year. Three. All right? They lost two to the Devils. Uh, They lost to Ottawa. I'm not – it's the NHL. I know it's hard to win games. I'm not saying that you you look at the schedule and you just check off the two points. But, like, even of those teams, if you get six points, right? So, what was that? Three, four, five? Like, let's say you have seven games that you'd hope you'd maybe sneak a point out on maybe an off day. Um out of those, let's say, 14 points, if you, if you get six, if you get seven of them, all of a sudden, you're right there. You're right behind the Leafs, right, in the, in the division anyways. I think at last check, they're, what, eight or nine, eight out division, nine out in the wild card, uh, depending on when you run this. But, you know, they're, they're right there. Um, and I don't think the backup situation uh, for Keith Kincaid, I don't think either side it worked out the way that either side envisioned it, right? And if you look at the successful teams in the NHL, it seems to be a nice flow of either it's a one one a like Carey Price and then you're one or a Marc-Andre Fleury but like you look in teams like Boston where where it seems like both guys are getting the job done the New York Islanders uh Colorado Avalanche um you know the goaltending i think you know you needed more backup uh, wins as well to support Carey Price and and I'm sure Kerry Price and a lot of the guys in the room would tell you, well, yeah, maybe they had to play a little bit better too. So, I mean, that's just me spitting things out. But um, your question was, minus the injuries, you know, do I think that they could have had the same production or been closer? And yeah, I think they could have.
0: Well, Brian, I, I truly appreciate the time you've given us um, and, and your candid answers. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to uh, to plug or let my listeners know about?
3: Um well i'm i don't have to have i don't need hair plugs that's good still got that i got good family jeans, so that's all right um no not at all you know what i the one thing i want to say about about Habs fans um and and you know like i think the uh the passion is awesome i i love the um i've gotten a lot of great support and some really nice comments uh, online uh i put a lot of pressure on myself I, you know it's been a it's been a tough year with my family, with losing my brother, and uh, you know, when I got the job, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to do a good job, and I really wanted to deliver and perform and and bring that energy and intensity, and and to uh, you know what, even in times that aren't so great, like maybe right now, to, to make the call exciting, to make people want to tune in. So uh, I appreciate uh, for those listening all the support I have gotten in my first two seasons. Uh, love Montreal. The Bell Province is awesome. The Bell Center is is literally I, I I am honored every time I walk into that building and it's, uh, I appreciate the, the support in entrusting in me with, uh, with your precious Montreal Canadians and getting to voice them, uh, and to call them. So yeah, it's an honor for me. And, uh, and I enjoy, I enjoy my job. I'm a lucky dude.
0: Well, uh, here's hoping you have a very long career covering the Montreal Canadians and uh doing the play by play because it's very enjoyable. Uh, you do make it, you do make it fun to listen to and watch. So, uh, Let's hope it lasts a long time.
3: Appreciate that, Blaine. And uh, you know what? If, if the Habs aren't playing, you could watch the Scotties or the Briar morning draws too. If you're really, you know, going to get some curling in there. There's my, there's my, there's my TSN selfless plug. There you go.
0: <laughs> and uh, to be uh, to be honest, I I do watch the Scotties. I, I I my father-in-law and I watch a lot of curling.
3: All right, Marianne Arsenal turning the clock back. Marianne's had a couple of great years. I understand she's moving to BC though. So you're going to lose her. Um, yeah. But uh, she, uh, she's, she's playing great again. And uh, yeah, Nova Scotia, they've done good. The junior girls, man, they've been phenomenal too out of your province the last few years. Like Mary Faye kind of raised the bar there for the young, uh, young curlers, but uh, I'll digress off the curling talk, but uh, <laughs> it was great to be on the, on your podcast to uh, talk some habits, Habs Blaine. So thanks for having me. I truly
0: appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, you're welcome. And that concludes another episode of Habs Unfiltered. We would like to thank all our listeners, old and new, for joining us. We hope you were informed and entertained. And always remember, if you are talking about it, so are we.